You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. I think at times we fail to realize that choosing to sin has its consequences. And more than anything else, we're going we're gonna to talk about a couple of different issues and subjects and learn a couple of lessons here from this text of Scripture. But more than anything else, what I want you to take away from this message is this. There are consequences when we choose to sin. You know, if we would just remember that, when sin presents an opportunity... Temptation presents an opportunity. Sin is not worth it. You may be convinced that the momentary pleasure it brings is going to bring you happiness and pleasure, and for a moment it may, but then comes the guilt and consequences. God's grace is enough. If you've been saved, Jesus' work on the cross covers you. But as Pastor Mike will remind us in today's message, there are still consequences for sin. It always brings destruction to your life and keeps you from living in the fullness God desires for you. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 3 as he begins his message, The Curse of God. Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. And this message is sort of like a follow-up message on the subject that we've already treated, that was the temptation and the fall of mankind, referring to Adam and Eve in the garden, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So let's go ahead and read that text of Scripture. And this is where we left off last time, Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Now to the woman he said, that is God, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now, uh, first of all, uh, let me say, I think at times we fail to realize that choosing to sin has its consequences. And more than anything else, we're going we're gonna to talk about a couple of different issues and subjects and learn a couple of lessons here from this text of Scripture. 
But more than anything else, what I want you to take away from this message is this. There are consequences when we choose to sin. You know, if we would just remember that, when sin presents an opportunity, temptation presents an opportunity, it's always alluring, right? It's always an attractive opportunity that's presented uh, to us and always promising us immediate fulfillment or satisfaction. But we forget about consequences. There's always a penalty that has to be paid. There's always a consequence when we choose to sin. No matter how attractive or the, the promise of fulfillment or satisfaction may be, please take into account when you're standing at the crossroads and you're choosing whether or not to allow yourself you know, to gravitate towards that temptation or sin, you'll always pay the penalty. There's always a consequence to sin. In the book of Galatians, in chapter 6, and verse 7, and, and many other places throughout the Bible, the Bible tells us there in Galatians chapter 6, and verse 7, whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he reap. It's just one of the laws that govern the universe. You can't get around it. You choose to sin, you're going to pay the penalty. There's a consequence to choosing to sin. There's no way of getting around that. You know, we talk a lot about in Christian circles, the grace of God. And what a wonderful uh, subject that is. But basically, the grace of God means, and we, we treated that subject last time together, uh, last Sunday, basically a working definition, not getting what we deserve. And basically, that's a, just an, a, a basic definition of what the grace of God is, what the grace of God looks like. But you know what? We would rather it be God removing the effects of sin altogether. But listen, this is not the way that God acts. God has to be true to his word. Yes, here God was gracious after Adam and Eve Eve fell, and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He held out hope of a final glorious deliverance. Remember, we also talked about that last time. Go back to verse 15. What we have here is the first announcement, the first prophecy in all of the Bible concerning the Messiah, concerning Christ. And I will put enmity, verse 15, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Speaking of the ultimate uh, victory, over the devil by Christ there upon the cross. So here God held out hope of a final glorious deliverance to Adam and Eve. But simply don't think because God didn't place the full measure of punishment on them immediately that he is indifferent to sin or will allow us to escape its effects. Remember when the children of Israel were about to cross over the Jordan River and finally, you know, after uh, 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness, right, they were going to enter into the land of promise. Remember in our series of studies in the book of Exodus? It's been a while, actually a couple of years ago. But uh, remember the uh, tribes of Gad and Reuben, uh, those guys were sheep herders and goat herders and... and, uh, and they decided that the land on the other side of the Jordan River 
were more conducive for raising their sheep and their cattle and their livestock. And so they made their appeal to Moses just prior to them going over into the land of promise. And they said, look, we'll go over and fight with you and we'll drive out the inhabitants of the land there in Canaan. But after we've done that, please allow us to go back over to the other side of the Jordan River from whence they came and settle there. And we can raise our families there, the two tribes, Gad and Reuben, and we can raise and, and uh, you know, have our, our livestock there, and it's more conducive for uh, the feeding of the livestock and, and, and all of that. And so Moses agrees to their appeal, but he says, listen, he says, if you don't do what you say you're going to do, and that is to cross over the Jordan and fight the fight and drive out the inhabitants of the land, and then after that victory, they would be allowed to go back. He says, if you don't follow through with the oath that you make this day, he goes on to declare in the book of Numbers in chapter 32 and verse 23, and this would apply to all of us, your sin will find you out. Folks, let me tell you something. Your sin will find you out in one way, shape, or form, or another. You know, there are, there, again, going back to our opening statement, there are just simply consequences to our sin. And uh, often when we sin, it has some ramifications as it relates to our bodies, right? And uh, you may be really good at hiding your sin from other people, but ultimately it will find you out in one shape or form or another. It, it might be in the form of your body breaking down, you're becoming sick or becoming ill or or, you know, and if you're real good at hiding your sin and you don't get busted, eventually, ultimately, one day you're going to stand before God, your sin will be revealed, and in fact, it'll be shouted from the housetops, the Bible tells us. And so you just can't get around this. Your sin will find you out. Now, with that said, that sort of sets the platform for this study. There are actually only two points or two headings concerning this study, all of what I'm going to be talking about this morning falls under these two headings. And those two headings are God's judgment upon the woman, who would have, of course, been Eve. And then secondly, God's judgment upon the man, who, of course, would have been Adam. So let's begin with Eve, because in our text, it begins with her, okay? So that brings us to our first point, God's judgment upon the woman. And these judgments are found in three parts, the three aspects to Eve's judgment. The first of which is there would be an increase of pain in childbearing. Go back to our text of scripture. Notice there in verse 16, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If you're a mother here who has given birth to a child or if you're a husband who has been in the birthing room with the wife, you know, going through labor, and then finally the child is born, I don't really have to say much about this curse, do I? And, uh, man, uh, have you ever been in a birthing room before? Have you ever gone through the Lamaze classes? I remember with our firstborn, we've raised five kids, so that we were very anxious about the birth of our first child overly concerned about it. But anyway, we went to these birthing classes, the Lamaze classes, and they put us through all of the, 
you know, the, the things that we needed to do to make my wife feel a little bit more comfortable. There were the ice chips that we were supposed to, you know, offer to our wife. And while she was in labor, we were supposed to massage her during certain periods of time. Okay, well, none of that worked. <laughs> you know, I would go over, my wife is in pain. She was uh, dilated to about eight centimeters. And I would go to start to massage her. And all of a sudden, she was like possessed by a demon or something. <laughs> Her head started to spin around, and she started screaming and hollering at me, get away from me, don't touch me. Well, I'm over-exaggerating, obviously. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't have to say much about this particular uh, curse that has been placed upon uh, the woman. And uh, there actually should be, over the entrance of every birthing room, a sign that says, enter at your own risk, because... I mean, listen, it is extremely difficult, and the women are in a great deal of pain. So anyway, that's the first aspect of this curse, the result of Eve choosing to sin against God. But then there was a second effect of sin upon the woman, who is Eve. Let's go back to our text. Notice there in verse 16. There we are told, in sorrow you will bring forth children. Now, I think that there is a wider application of this particular uh, curse and then just simply the wife or the woman giving birth. I believe that there's a wider application that relates to an increase in trouble and everything having to do with children, period. It's like the pains associated with childbirth will continue in other ways throughout the mother's and father's life. As their children who are now born in sin, and that's the way that every one of us are born, I'll give you a cross-reference for that in just a moment, dishonor their parents and experience in their own lives the consequences of their disobedience. You know, David himself said in the 51st Psalm in verse 5, he says, I was born, brought forth in iniquity, And in sin, my mother conceived me. You see, the sin of Adam's was passed over unto every man. But thank God through the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ, we've been delivered from our our sin. Think about this. That lifelong pain children cause their parents. The same pain we caused our parents. Come on, right? Are we surprised? You know, we've done everything that we could possibly do. We've raised the kids in the church. We think they were going to be these little goody two-shoes, right? And then all of a sudden they become teenagers. God help us, right? So what do we do? All of the crazy things that, and I, I'm so blessed. You know, all of my children are here in the church and are serving, and, and truly I, I am blessed. But listen, I mean, there were times when it was really difficult in raising my kids, and probably, if given the opportunity, every one of you who are parents could stand and share their own personal testimony of their children putting them through the, the hoops, right, jumping through the hoops. So what do we do as parents? What do we do? Well, simply, we need to be understanding. We need to be patient with our children. Know that this is very, a common experience, right? It is because of our sin and those who came before us that a sinful, rebellious nature has come upon them. It's been passed over onto them. So our duty is simply to train them in the ways of the Lord, to mold them and shape them. 
And hopefully when they grow old, they won't depart from the ways of the Lord, right? And uh, so we're given that promise. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Okay? So we shouldn't be surprised when our children do. I mean, come on. How many times have we disappointed our parents? How many times have we done stuff that was totally off the wall? I can't even begin to tell you, man, you know, what I, my, my poor family, what I did to them growing up, all of the crazy choices that I, that I made. And so anyway, this is the second curse that came upon the woman because of their disobedience, because of their sin. Now, the third effect of the woman's sin, Eve, let's go back to our text of Scripture, it's found in verse, six, uh, verse 16, there would be a change in her relationship to her husband. Let's go ahead and read that. And the Bible tells us there, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, in what sense is the woman's desire to be for her husband? Well, there's various interpretations of this particular announcement. Uh, Let me suggest those uh, to you. The first of which is... uh, Someone has suggested that that relates to, that announcement relates to, that the woman's desire would be for her husband. Someone had suggested, more than someone, a lot of someones, a lot of Bible teachers, suggest that this relates to the woman's sexual desire and that that sexual desire is so strong that she is willing to accept the results of sexual intercourse, which leads to conception and the pain of bearing the child. So that is one possible plausible explanation. Then others suggest that this refers to the woman's psychological dependence on man. That is, she is willing to submit to what is often the man's insensitivity and tyrannical rule within the marriage relationship. Okay? Or... It has also been said to mean a woman's desires become subservient to those of her husbands as a result of this judgment. So three explanations of what this means. But the problem with these views is that they don't quite fit with the whole of what we are told concerning the relationship of the man and woman here in the book of Genesis. For example, the headship of the husband in marriage is not something that enters in subsequent to the fall. It's already present in the second chapter, before Adam and Eve even eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Another, In fact, remember, we talked about this, and uh, we, we treated this in pretty great length and detail. Uh, initially, when God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, right? Everywhere he looked, it was good. He says, that's good, that's good. All after he created the physical universe. His uh, announcement was, it is good, it is good. Everything that he made. But there was one thing that wasn't good. Man was alone, Adam was alone. And he said, that's not good. And so I'm going to make for Adam a helpmate. It's recorded for us there in chapter 2 and verse 18. So she was to be 
a helper for the man. And then the word of God goes on to teach us that the woman was given to the man in chapter 2 in verse 22. So think about this. Adam's sin in part was by being led by Eve rather than leading her, which would have been the natural course. That was God's plan for the marriage relationship, this relationship between Adam and Eve. Again, all of these explanations offered agrees in some way. The woman's desire for a husband makes her willing to endure his rule. But is this the result of sin? Remember, that's the question that we're addressing here. Is that the rule of sin or the result of sin? You know, the woman being willing to endure the husband's rule? An aspect of God's judgment upon uh, it? I don't think so. I think just the reverse is true. So think about this. Because of her sin, I think that this fits more perfectly. Because of her sin, she now rebels against God's order and seeks to rule over her husband. She therefore disputes the headship of her husband. Hey, you know what? This is sort of becoming like a mini marriage enrichment seminar, isn't it? Think about it, right? And we find this kind of irritation in many of the marriage relationships that exist today, which is the result of sin. The woman will yield herself to the husband's rule. She disputes the headship of her husband. She rather seeks to rule over him. And I believe that's what was this third aspect of this curse, the result of Eve's sin. So as the result of the fall, man no longer rules easily. He must fight for his headship. Sin has corrupted both the willing submission of the wife and the loving headship of the husband. The rule of love has been replaced by struggle, tyranny, and domination. So, that raises the question, what are we to do? If we find ourselves in that particular situation, if that basically describes our marriage experience, what in the world can we do? Well, there's an answer, praise God. It's found in a transformation of the attitudes and aspirations of both the man and woman through the power of the Spirit indwelling them. And that's what, by the way, these one-day marriage enrichment seminars are all about. We try to put them uh, on the calendar quarterly throughout the year. And, uh, you know, so that we'll start thinking right. Listen, there are so many things that would pervert our understanding, the way that we respond to one another, the animosity that is stirred up within us, think grudges that we hold against one another. It, it even happens among the best of Christians. In my father's house. There's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, 
and he said that it is very good. Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.